Hello, beautiful people. Another week, another re-release and another intro recorded from my phone because we are in Morocco. You might have heard that we are taking two weeks off recording because we've been away and she's also overseas and our incredible audio editor has gone away to get married and have his wonderful honeymoon. He very much deserves a break. So we thought these days we are taking a much gentler approach on ourselves and instead of creating a lot of NATA, we would just re-release some episodes and then come back with a bang. We will be back with some incredible guests, one of which is Tony Lodge, one of our very favourite people. So that will be coming to your ears soon. But for now, enjoy this re-release and thank you so much for your patience. Hope you're all seizing your yay. I think that's one of the skills about being an adult is accepting that you might not have done it <laughs> the right way or that there could be a better way. I did think that in my headspace that I'd given everything to Emma Wiggle and I grew so much in that role that, yes, I felt ready to then grow into another version of me. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. There aren't many things that evoke more yay than the Wiggles, especially a sunshine-coloured one. While she's now officially hung up her yellow Wiggle shoes, Emma Watkins still radiates like a sunbeam, and we are so lucky to have her here today. As always, it was such a delight to trace back to a younger Emma, who never could have dreamed of where she'd end up, and with whom I have an earlier, very intense dancer's life in common. You might have guessed that her love for the arts has been lifelong, but you might not know that Emma is also a skilled filmmaker has been in Bollywood films, won Miss Granny Smith Apples once upon a time and learnt Auslan all before becoming the first ever female Wiggle. Now she's doing some incredible work with artistic integrations of sign language through her PhD, which you will hear all about in the episode, Is There Anything This Woman Can't Do? Emma is also stepping into some beautiful frocks as an ambassador for Frocktober this month and I've popped some links in the show notes to this year's amazing campaign with the OCRF. Just a little PS before we start, before any fellow dancers listening, it's likely that some of you are also part of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee along with me, the President, and I'm reminded so much lately of how much better you feel moving your body with the right crop. But how hard is it to find flattering ones that have a little bit of padding? Like, so we got a little something going on. It's just such an ATA. But I've been road testing some from Burley on behalf of the neighborhood and have been sharing some reflections on movement and mental health along with my top picks on TikTok and social media. So those are linked in the show notes for anyone interested. I have done the research for us. You're welcome. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. Emma is such a ray of sunshine and I hope she brings a smile to your face as much as she did to mine. Emma, welcome to Seize the Yay. Thank you so much for having me. 
I have followed you for the longest time, so I'm having a minor slash major fangirl moment, which I am never very cool about keeping inside my body. So it's so <laughs> lovely to meet you. Oh, this is so wonderful. I mean, next time we'll probably have to have a tea party, like face to face, so that we can really embrace the opportunity to see each other. <laughs> I feel like we're already best friends forever. The fact that you said tea party and not like go out for a bevy. Oh no, I don't drink. I've got a tea. Oh, she's got a tea. Yes, I can see that. No, I have a tea too, but I don't drink. So I'm always inviting people for tea and they always are confused by that. (laughs) Well, I didn't drink for seven years, so I feel Hmm. like we definitely need to talk about that at some point. But before we kick off, I love to start by asking everyone just a little icebreaker, particularly because most of the country, if not the world, will have known you as one of the very iconic Wiggles, which only a very few people in the world have been endowed with such a title. And it's very easy to assume it's all glamorous and beautiful and polished. But I like to ask what's something really normal about you or down to earth or relatable. What's something that reminds us you're just a normal person? Oh, well, I get up every day quite early to go and feed my goats. (laughs) You have goats? Yeah, and I've just moved to the country to give them a better opportunity of having more land to be on. So (gasps) me in my pyjamas, getting my boots on, gumboots, my raincoat, because it's very rainy where we live, and then driving down the road because currently we don't have a fence at home. So my (laughs) goats are being housed at a wildlife sanctuary and I go and visit them every morning and feed all the animals on the sanctuary. So there are 20 rescue goats, there's 10 10 rescue sheep, a rescue pig, wallabies, and wombats. Paul is obviously very excited about this. He liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe there are rescue goats. This is amazing. I mean, it's amazing how many animals are either ditched on the side of the road or injured. And I've met this beautiful lady in the country who's from Germany and has been living in Australia for over 17 years and has created the most incredible wildlife sanctuary to care for these animals. Oh my gosh. I mean, talk about seizing the yay. One of my biggest yays and ultimate dream, I still believe it's possible, is to have a wildlife sanctuary, but specifically like mine's a bit niche, a golden retriever sanctuary where Absolutely. anyone who's having a bad day can just come yeah. and roll around in fields of golden retrievers. <laughs> you have <laughs> nailed it. Can it be called fields of golden retrievers? Oh, absolutely it can. (laughs) I think uh, your golden retriever needs to be the icon of like the emblem of the sanctuary. And there'll be merchandise and there'll be all sorts of things. I think we're onto something here. This sounds like a, a potential collab for the future. I'm ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> well, the first section of the show is my personal favourite and it's just tracing back through all of the dot points on your journey to get to where you are today, including via adopted goats and all of the different steps that that involves. (laughs) But mainly because, as I mentioned before, often the, the profile or the chapter, when people do kind of have a public profile, the chapter of your life that people walk in on and often meet you in Mm. seems like it was smooth, seems like Mm. the dots connect in hindsight. So it often seems like you always knew what you wanted to be or that it was a, you know, an overnight success, which it never is. So 
I like to trace back to all the chapters that don't really get as much airtime and that maybe weren't as straightforward and that had a bit of angst or confusion about what your pathway was. So take us back to younger Emma. We have very early ballet years in common. Mm -hmm. I heard you started when you were four. I did. Is that the same age as you? I was three. Yeah, see, I think I was a bit late to the party, to be honest. Yeah, you were totally over the hill. (laughs) I mean. Well, now a lot of children start dancing at two. So four to me sounds quite late. But, you know, better late than never. You know, still in the early years. And I really was intending to start Irish dancing first, being very, very excited about what I'd seen on TV and predominantly watching the Wiggles as a child uh, in my preschool years, seeing these amazing dancers jumping around everywhere with bouncy curly hair. And I was like, that is me. (laughs) And so apparently I persuaded my mum to take me and she my, my mum doesn't really have any dance knowledge, nothing, zero. So she just toddled me onto the dance school and the teacher at the time said that she felt that I was too young and that I should actually start ballet first and hence why I started ballet and then a year later I joined Irish dancing and I've been doing both ever since. Oh my gosh. See, I'm the same. My mum didn't know anything about it either and I feel like there were so many young dancers who had amazing stage marks who like do their hair and know how to sew the costumes and my mum was just (laughs) clueless and I was the one being a stage mum to myself like mum just let me do it I'll do it better and doing my own hair and everything yeah I was exactly (laughs) that child and my mum because Irish dancing has I don't know it's quite strange a very big tradition of curly hair to the point where now everybody that competes wears curly hair wigs really yeah 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 nobody's hair in an Irish dancing competition is real so when I was young though about five six seven competing we all had our natural hair but my friends and other people competing would go to school the whole two days before the weekend with their hair in curlers <gasps> as in like like those tied yes, ones like the yes. rag tied ones yes. and <sighs> i was the only person that didn't have my hair in curlers because my hair is naturally very curly and so my mum and i would arrive and she'd go what should we do to make it look like we've been curling your hair all night? <laughs> and she would like pretend to scrunch it and be and like pretend to take out a curler that we borrowed from a friend, but I never had curlers. <laughs> and so oh by the time it was more trendy to wear a certain type of curl, because that's what would happen over the years, different types of wigs became on brand or in, in trend, should I say, or in fashion. And my curl, that my natural hair. It wasn't trendy. So I wore very untrendy hair for competitions for a few years. And then I said to mum, I'm so sorry, but I need to wear a wig. She was devastated, but also grateful. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So you learn something new. Every time I do an episode, I learn something new about a niche community Mm. that just makes me feel like I've entered this whole other world. And I can't (laughs) believe that, like who knew that even curly haired people, like naturally curly haired people, that's not enough. We need wig curls. It's also, you know, and I, I can understand it now, you know, from, and also from wearing a wig during my time at the Wiggles to save my hair and to keep it continuous for such a long time. Doing Irish dance, and jumping around for a minute and a half, your hair doesn't come back from that. (laughs) There's no bouncing back. There's no bouncing back. The bounce has to be unrealistic for it to be real. 
energy. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, well, one of the things I love to talk about with people who are in careers in the arts is the fact that a lot of us begin our earlier years dancing, particularly mm. young girls. We often go into ballet yep. and I was one of the few who – actually took it, I mean, my Taipei personality thought that I was professional from the time I was like five and a half, but I took it very seriously and and ended up at the Australian Ballet for quite a few years. What? Yeah. So when when I was reading about you going to the McDonald College, I was like, we used to compete against you guys. That's amazing. Were you at the school? We're, the, we're born in the same year. So don't, I feel like we might have. Don't. Maybe. Oh, no. I, I know. I wasn't good enough. I wanted to be. It was my dream, but I, I wasn't. My legs weren't turned out enough. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I went to Irish dancing because I could bang a lot and make good rhythms. That was basically it. <laughs> But what I think is really interesting is that for so many of us, even for me, it was a little bit later, but a lot of us end up not pursuing that skill, whether it's dance or song or Mm. musical instruments or whatever it is, as a career, because I think there's a lot of societal pressure to find something really stable and ongoing or, you know, I think there's a lot of dissuasion because it's so competitive because not many people can make it to the top. There's so few roles and it's interesting watching so many people tell their story talk about being passionate about something when they were younger and then letting it drop away because societal pressure or or external pressure or even internal pressure about going to uni or doing the traditional thing. Did you ever feel that pressure and how did you push through it to keep your love of the arts alive? I think my personality, like yours, and this is why we're now besties, is that I never ever thought that I would do anything but dance and dance was everything in my head. I love it. I never even dreamed of doing something. I've never even opened my mind up to other things. And whilst my dad really had such a big history of rallying cars and doing navigating in rally races, and I would go on the weekends with him and do precision driving, and and I loved it. I never stuck with it because I was always going back to dance. And I think going to the McDonald College and being able to do performing arts every single day, that was a dream. As a teenager, I was like, this is the best thing ever. And so I never really thought anything about it until I had an injury (laughs) and then everything changed. Oh, no. Everything changed. So whilst it might look like I continued to do what I really loved to do, I feel like there's been so many different pathways because I intended on being a prima ballerina. I never even got there. That never even happened. Wow. It's funny, the quote that I often say on this show when we're doing this sort of steps up the staircase exercise is that things almost never turn out how you plan Mm. them, but often they turn out better. And it's usually how that was supposed to happen. You just didn't realize at the time. Exactly. How did you redirect? Was it the injury that then sort of was that sliding doors moment of I have to go sideways or I have to choose something else? I was accepted into the school with a ballet scholarship and hence why I was just I just loved ballet. I was so excited. I was doing my exams and doing it every single day of the week. And then I came back on the first day of term two in year eight, and I'll never forget it. And the teacher was like, you know, take it easy. Don't go too crazy. And we had to do, I guess, for 
simple purposes are basically a turning jump in the air and the teacher was like, you can try a double, but don't, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. Of course, I went to try for the double and landed on the outside of my foot and snapped the ligament across my ankle. (laughs) To which she heard the sound, the teacher, from the other side of the room, which was about 10 metres away, and then I got up and I was like, no, there's no problem at all because I didn't want to admit that I'd stuffed it up. (laughs) Anyway. About five seconds later, I was on the floor and had to be taken to hospital. So at that point, my dreams of dancing on point were gone and I was devastated. And I, you know, there was a whole reason why I was going to the school and ballet and all this drama. So luckily the school was like, you don't have to worry because we've got dance stream next door and you can try jazz. And I was like, jazz? (laughs) What? I'm like, oh, I'm not really that jazzy. What is this nonsense you speak of? <laughs> what is this tap thing? And because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just an Irish dancer. And they were like, no, there's tap. And I was like, meh. Like, I've tried it before, but, you know, I'm, it's not my forte, but I'll give it a go. And so I was basically relocated to the studio next door, which obviously doesn't sound like a big deal. But then I met an entire world of teachers, friends, people, classmates, and I just fell in love with commercial dance. So my my ballet, even though it's been there forever, ended up being secondary to my primary love, which ended up being jazz. And I was obsessed. And hip hop, I was just obsessed at school. Obsessed. <laughs> I love this so much because even within a life pathway, even within <laughs> dance, like people outside of dance probably don't understand how dramatic yeah. the difference is. But mm. but even within that, you still often set yourself on this one very rigid pathway yeah. and then something will just happen that redirects you to another whole area. And like without the injury, even though I'm sure at the time it felt like the end of your life, yep. you would never have known that jazz no. and commercial dance was your thing. Like how do you, unless you try different things, you don't know what you like and what you don't like. But ballerinas are very fixated on like I will not do any other discipline. But I love that it was an injury that showed you what the rest of your life could be. Oh, I'm so grateful for the challenges that were presented to me, not just in class, but in terms of body and how your body works and reacts to those kinds of situations ended up being another point of sliding doors when I had another injury. And I'd never had any injuries (laughs) prior to this time, but I was way too enthusiastic, like way too enthusiastic with everything and just wanted to do my best at all times. So I really threw myself in there, literally. Oh, that sounds really foreign to me. That's really um, weird. I don't, I don't recognize know what any talking. of those concepts. No, no. No, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And no. unfortunately, <laughs> in year 10, I had another injury and it was much more dramatic and significant. And I ended up really hurting my back badly. And I was dropped in a lift and you know, it just, I didn't recover well. Oh my god! I've actually not recovered. So uh, currently, and since that day, I have wedge compressions between three of my vertebrae and my spine. And I never, ever gained flexibility again in that region of my spine, which means I can't do an arabesque. I find it very difficult to do anything with my leg behind me. And so hence why Irish dancing ended up being really useful because it's only at the front. (laughs) 
and, you know, unfortunately I lost that dream. So even though I can watch ballet and my brain is just so completely embroiled in what everyone's doing and I can understand it technically in my brain, my body cannot perform it. That really took a long time. And that when I was in year 10, I then didn't do any of the dancing at school, nothing, because I was so injured and it was really difficult. So the school were trying to make sure that I still had positive spirits and they moved me to the kindergarten room to read stories to (gasps) kindergarten. Oh, my gosh. And Okay, and who knew how useful that would become? No, exactly. So I spent half the time with kindy or prep and then half the time with my art teacher who was also like, come here, I will... I will protect you. And she was like, this is our media room. And we had those old school Mac computers, Apple computers that were colored on the back. You know, those massive ones. (gasps) One was red, one was yellow. Yeah. So that room I'd never even been in. And she was like, why don't you sit yourself in here? There's some really cool programs on the computer. And at that point, I didn't know anything about filming or video or editing or nothing and I just ended up falling in love with Final Cut Pro and ended up editing all films for the school for all of my projects I switched every performance out for a video because I couldn't dance wow and I ended up being in love with video editing and again I would never have picked it never oh my Gosh, see, this in itself is so cool. Like the things that you end up falling into and also that people who meet you now would have no idea that you're like such a gun at Final Cut Pro, like editing videos of all things. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But then also when I was reading your bio, I was like, okay, but also Bollywood movies and then you became Miss Granny Smith Apple and then you learned Auslan. Like how, A, do all those things happen? But B, like one of the things as well with dance qualifications or you know anything in in the arts it's really hard to then know it's it's hard anyway to figure out what your interests translate to in terms of a job but when your skill is in the arts I think it's even harder because it's so broad it could be so many different things there's so many different disciplines how do you become the first female wiggle like how does that even happen exactly (laughs) I mean it's still something that it feels like it just doesn't feel real. And when you were speaking before about, you know, the chapter that people know you for, interestingly, the chapter of being the first female wiggle was a chapter I would never have imagined. And it was so out of the blue because no woman had ever been a wiggle before. And so when I had finished uni, I hadn't actually finished, I was still there and trying to do media arts at UTS because my video editing at, at high school ended up helping me get there. And I went to film school and, you know, just was going on the normal trajectory of going to uni because there wasn't enough dance work, but still auditioning for everything. Like I auditioned for every musical. <laughs> every show I got nothing no I was always rejected or I got to a point where I was down to the last two a few times for Wicked and Cat (gasps) and it was you know I'd get really close because I'd go in as a dancer not as a singer because it wasn't my training and I never really did any of that and then I'd always get to have to sing like get to the singing part and (laughs) the lady on the (laughs) to me she's like well clearly you're not a singer and I said, yeah. 
right? And she goes, why haven't you been doing singing lessons? And I was like, I'll try and do that. And then I left and I was like, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford a private singing lesson whilst I was at uni. So then a few weeks later, I went to audition again. I think it must have been for Hairspray or something. And she was on the same panel and she saw me again. And then I walked in there and she, <gasps> she goes, don't lie to me. You haven't done a singing lesson since I've seen you last time. And I was like, no, I haven't. She goes, get out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm fine leaving. So at that point, it was very clear to me that all of my friends that I'd been to dance school with or I went to full-time dance as well and I was doing all the same things that everyone else was doing that was trying to audition your little heart out to try and get a show, I just, it wasn't a love for me as in I was always nervous. As soon as it came to the singing, I was like, this is stressful. And I naturally then fell back into film editing. And at the time I had my own mm. production company and I was filming lots of different things for different people, whether it was weddings or dance concerts or showreels. And so that ended up being a huge part of my life. And I just happened to stumble across the Wiggles audition, which asked very specifically for a ballet dancing fairy. And I was like, that is me. <laughs> And I went to the audition and got it. So it was out of the blue and it wasn't, you know, an arduous process. I was there for the whole day, which was a long time. But, you know, compared to some of the other auditions we were doing for Disney and, you know, for the other big musical companies, it was relatively smooth, that audition process. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea that you had kind of moved not away from mm. the arts, but that you were doing a whole different career at the same time as auditioning, but not yeah. really like you weren't already working in musical theatre or anything. And then just this audition just came up and then bang, yeah. first female wiggle. Well, it's so strange because I think even when myself and Lockie and Simon had become this new lineup of the Wiggles back in 2013, a lot of people had assumed that the three of us had auditioned for those roles. And it was an interesting realisation, not just for us, but for the audience that, no, we just happened to be part of the company in different roles, all playing different characters. I toured with Lockie for a bit at the beginning. Then I toured with Simon and Lockie wasn't on that tour. And then all three of us were on the tour, but as different roles, dancers, musicians, you know, circus acrobats. And then we were chosen to be a wiggle and it was we were offered we were invited and that was a really really special opportunity and again because we weren't thinking that we were being watched <laughs> you know it, <laughs> obviously the company was watching but we were going about our general everyday life of being a performer on a show that just felt bigger than life and I never imagined that I would ever even be there as a wiggly dancer in the first place. So I was stoked. <laughs> a wiggly dancer. I know. I like, know. It's a good title. It's a good title. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> the Wiggles alone, like that title, you were a wiggle. Like wiggle in the singular is the cutest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> but like the Wiggles are absolutely iconic and as you mentioned you grew up watching them mm. we all grew up watching them generations have grown up with the wiggles as such a big part of their life and it's i can't even imagine how weird it would be to then be like oh my gosh i am one of these for the youth of australia this is so wild and it lasted like nearly 10 years that was 10 years ago in 2012 it's when you wild. like got invited to become a wiggle so i feel like we all know the wiggles we all have like fond memories, but 
In terms of like the behind the scenes of being a wiggle, I feel like that's the stuff that most of us would probably have absolutely no clue about. (laughs) Can you give us some of the highlights of like the behind the scenes? Like what is it like, especially being the first female and having no clear model of what Mm. a female wiggle looks like? Like how were those nine years? Like that's a huge question I know, but yeah. (laughs) I think. What was wiggle life like? (laughs) I mean, it was amazing. It has been the most amazing chapter of my life. And it is weird to talk about that my entire 20s were spent wiggling. (laughs) So (gasps) for me, it's almost like going to university, like a different one. So you've been to one and then another one maybe, and then you go to another one, you're like, I'm going to do this degree. And then you're there for 10 years. And it's like, it feels like you're there with your schoolmates and you've all been through the same situations and challenges and we've traveled the world together and we've made these close friendships. And so that particular chapter is so dear to me. And I learned things that I never thought that I would do, like sing in front of a lot of people and (laughs) scared the bejeebas out of me. And I am still so grateful for everything that everybody imparted on me. And in particular, Lockie, who helped me learn how to use my voice in storytelling and also for finding me all the harmonies that I needed so that I could participate (laughs) (laughs) in a different key. Because a lot of the songs, particularly when I joined at the very beginning, were all written for male voice tones. So when it was, you know, when we were trying to shuffle things around and like, what can you sing and what can you sing? I was like, I can't sing anything because it was either really low (laughs) or really high. And I was like, this is such a struggle. But it was a great challenge to have because then, you know, it took me ages. It took me probably a good four years to find where my voice would be useful, I guess, and also recognisable. And it took me a long time to work that out. That's fascinating because, again, that's something that like no one would have thought about that they were written for a a male voice box and then suddenly it's like, oh, we have a female wiggle. How do we work like this in in a complimentary way? And it's funny that people would assume that you'd just solve that straight away. But four years, like it's Mm. good things take time. Yeah, it took me ages. But also something to recognise with the group was that it was founded by amazing people with such a great musical background and foundation within themselves. So they were all Mm. musicians. All the OG Wiggles know how to play something. So it's natural for them to pick up an instrument and play it. And usually with a band, then because most of them were in a band together before the Wiggles, you know, it's the, we pick up the guitar and we start playing in the key of E because that's our normal key. And so most of the songs initially were written based on songs that they'd previously played or were derived from other melodies that they've played, you know, at the pub, at uni, like, you know, growing up as a musician (laughs) is a world that I don't know about. But that was obviously a huge part of their life, which transferred over to the Wiggles. And it was why it was so catchy and relatable because these were the kinds of musical riffs and melodies that were comfortable for them and people were already singing along to them. So that made sense. And so then when I came and it was like, Anne, here's the key of E. And I was like, oh, that's a bit high. <laughs> Hell, I think I was just a disappointment to myself and to them at that time. I was like, oh dear. So, you know, as the show went on and we had such a beautiful, positive response from 
people around the world, which took many years as well, it rendered the idea that Emma Wiggle might do her own show. And so when that came through, that was A, stressful, B, surprising, and C, I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do about this singing? But then it gave us an opportunity to write songs that were in my key, and that changed everything for me. And then I, I worked out where I could sing. But also it should be noted that I don't have a very big vocal range, <laughs> so I, didn't, I wasn't able to help them out very much. <laughs> But one thing that's coming through so strongly in such a beautiful way for everyone listening is that that we talk so much on the show about self-doubt and imposter syndrome, but particularly mm. how acute that becomes when you first start something new. Like mm. it's a good sign that you're getting out of the comfort zone, but then you've also <laughs> kind of got to deal with it so you can actually do the thing. But that part of it as time goes on has been for you finding the things that work, like acknowledging that you don't have a big range. There are times when you overcome self-doubt by fixing the problem and extending your range. And then there's times where you just figure out, you know what, that's my wheelhouse, that isn't. And working around it and not constantly putting yourself in situations that's going to set you up for failure, that's going to you know, ramp up the self-doubt all the time. It sounds like it's been such a beautiful process of feeling terrified at the start, finding friction points and mm. kind of working around them to then start to work with what you do have and with what you are good at and with what you are comfortable with. And one of the most beautiful things about being in that particular role was that I got to have my own name and I was myself. And that's something that I'm very grateful for because a lot of people that I went to school with that ended up getting jobs in musical theatre were playing different characters and there was different names and you have to embody a different character and it's not you. Whereas we were embraced to bring our personality and hence why I think I had such a a rigorous training, you know, decade of figuring out what is that? Because I, yeah, who am I? I? What am I doing here? And I, you know, I'd constantly say to the group, I'm just a dancer. I just want to do the dancing. <laughs> and they'd be like, no, no, you can sing, sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I'm like, oh, that's a really hard one. Like surprisingly, Twinkle Twinkle is really hard. Just putting it out there. <laughs> it's a really hard song. I love it. It's a really hard song. My favorite song is Open Shut Them. Oh. It's really, I think that's where it came into my own, Open Shut Them. And it's a, a song that's <laughs> dear to me. I like, I don't want to be that kind of singer. And But initially I was trying to be. So in the first couple yeah. of albums, you can hear it. I try some vibrato, which I don't have. And it was mm-hmm. when I listen back, I like I just have to leave the room. It's horrible because I was trying to be somebody else. That's why it I, yeah. I it took so long for me to realize what was comfortable in my voice and people were connecting with my voice over time because it was clear. I realized that because I was doing a lot of the storytelling, that seemed to be my niche. And right. it made me more comfortable because I was telling the story to children. And as soon as I could pay attention to the children and and relay the story to them, I stopped thinking about myself. And as soon as that happened, then I wasn't worried. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's funny you said that. I feel like this is the your equivalent of what I say to people like in business, for example, when they talk about how they, you know, cringe when they look at their first logo or the first version of their product. I'm like, if you don't need to leave the room when you hear the first rendition of something that you did, then you haven't grown enough. Like you're supposed to cringe over version one. You know, that's the point. You know, now in this technological age, there's a lot of forums and discussions online. And there's so many interesting discussions about the change in my voice. 
and like, why, <laughs> why did she sing like this in 2014? And then in 2016, she sounded like that. And I'm like, wow, people are really attentive to identity through voice as well. And I think right. because we had to do so much talking and dialogue and live shows, you know, the range of our voice was it was such a big part of that role. And so the singing element was always really freaky to me. But once I could get comfortable with my arrangement of songs or what I was singing, then yeah, I think it got to yeah, 2016 and I was like, I'm I'm ready. And 2018, I was like, this is good. I'm good. I know where I'm singing. And wow. it's Ron Pumper's stomp and I'm fine with it. <laughs> That's amazing. So a couple of questions are coming to mind now. So firstly, given that the digital age has, as that decade progressed, made, you know, given you quite a profile and made like the Wiggles, we already all knew who the Wiggles are, but then as a person, people get to know like, you know, who you're dating and what you're doing and how your voice Mm. is changing and they've got comparison and Mm. stuff. Did you struggle at all with, as you mentioned as well, being the first female Wiggle was very well received after a while, Mm. but that like the digital age also makes criticism quite instant for you as well. Did you struggle with that profile building process and that kind of real-time feedback in the beginning? But also, did you struggle with your audience being children? Like did you ever kind of get to the end of the day and be like, oh, I want to speak adult or did you like that? (laughs) Children are the best and, to be honest, I'm so (laughs) grateful that they were our audience because They're so embracing and it wouldn't matter if you looked like a chicken. They'd be like, this is great. <laughs> so it really, you know, you get saved with a children's audience because mm. they, they're just so excited that you're there. With technology, there's positives and negatives. And the real positive is that we could connect with people around the world, which was amazing. So our music and our content was being watched by people in other countries all at the same time. And then people would be writing to us live and, oh, I love this song, which is fantastic. <sighs> and of course, the negative, as we know, the criticism is very, very high. But I do think that being a dancer, I was so used to being told what not to Mm. do and so for me I was never worried I was like yeah okay sure (laughs) we'll take that on but again I mean sometimes if you read things over and over and over again or it's the same comment that's coming up you can take that on in a way but I would try and think about it as a critique and try and improve what I was doing so a lot of the comments Mm. about my voice which were very pronounced, I was like, yeah, okay, you're right. My voice was a bit terrible on that one. And then I would try and make improvements to make it better or clearer or yeah, more recognizable and more like myself rather than pretending I was Ariana Grande, which I'm not. (laughs) I love her, but I'm not Ariana. That's really interesting because I agree with that. I feel like being a dancer And this is why I want my kids eventually to one day, I don't have kids yet, but one day my future children to do things like dancing or sport, because I feel like you get a thicker skin, like you get a tolerance and a resilience to criticism. Possibly it went too far when I was a young dancer, but you grow the ability to self-critique and to take on criticism and improve like to take that on and not think oh it's my my value as a human is worse but maybe I should just I don't know I feel like I've got a much higher tolerance for negative feedback I mean I don't love it but 
I think those earlier years really helped me now move on faster when I get negative feedback. And it's, I mean, I like to call it feedback, just a blanket feedback, so that it has mm. the opportunity to be positive if it needs to be. And if and even if even yeah. if it is directed with a sad tone, <laughs> there's always an opportunity in that. And I think totally. as a dancer, it wasn't that it was necessarily harsh, <laughs> even though it might come across <laughs> like that. It was always about improving you as a better totally. dancer. And it, it's never given in a way that's, you know, it's really hard. I think it's hard. You're right. If you're a dancer or if you're in that kind of environment, same with a sporting team or, a, you know, a specific discipline that requires routine practice and rehearsal and performance and all those kinds of elements, there's something that you just get used to and it's actually really helpful. Otherwise, it really puts you in a position where you can't self-reflect and that value to not be able to reflect on yourself is that's hard. I think that's one of the skills about being an adult is accepting that you might not have done it <laughs> the right way or that there could be a yeah. better way. But, you know, our dance teachers were always like, other leg, different leg, higher, get up there, turn it out. Like it wasn't a personal critique. It was to help yes. you be better. Absolutely. And I found the hardest teachers that were the scariest were often the Often the ones that if I was, yeah, if I was really dedicated to getting Mm. better, I'd want them. I wouldn't want the softer ones, which is (laughs) maybe like a bit (laughs) bit of a weird psychological (laughs) thing going on there. (laughs) I think in terms of growing resilience, it's really about accepting feedback that's outside yourself. And and also, of course, taking things with a grain of salt naturally and as as technology tells us and shows us you know you can't listen to everything and take on board everything that's written about you because it can be super weird (laughs) totally (laughs) so it's really interesting that you mentioned that around 2016 you started to get a little bit more like okay I'm in my Mm. groove and then by 2018 you were like I've got it this is ready I found my groove (laughs) and I'm ready and then that In 2021, after like nine years, the Wiggles chapter ended. And I think one of the things that can be really difficult is when you're doing something that you absolutely love and you do get really comfortable, it's like how long do you stay in that comfort before Mm. you agitate for a new chapter? How do you know when it's time to grow into something else? How do you know when you've not become complacent, but how do you know when your growth in a particular area it's time to, to shift your focus. How did you start your next chapter? How have you unraveled your identity as a wiggle and then started crafting post-wiggle, Emma? <laughs> like how did that whole shift kind of happen for you? They are so many good questions, by the way. Sorry, there's like 800 <laughs> questions in like one thing. But the whole like, as I'm sure you can tell, the whole the progression of a journey is so fascinating to me and I think people are very scared of their journey having many, many steps, yeah. but actually the best journeys do have many steps mm. and sometimes the step falls in your lap, but sometimes you have to be ready to take it as well and that sometimes involves a lot of self-reflection and, yeah, I just um, I'm so curious, how did that come about for you because being yellow Emma Wiggle, I'm sure you could have done that forever and had the happiest life. Oh, absolutely. And 
you know, I can reflect on some of the interviews that I did in the decade where I would say and truly believe that I would be there till I was 60. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not being a wiggle forever and ever and ever. And, you know, a part of that chapter will always be a part of me. So in some ways, yes, it will continue on forever. But in terms of being brave enough, as, as you mentioned, about going into something new or, you know, taking that leap, I don't even know if I was <laughs> brave, but I just took a punt. And I felt that that chapter to grow into something else and to learn even more skills felt like that that might be a good time. But I didn't know if it was going to be a great time. I just thought maybe now. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't cemented in my brain as like I have closed it off, you know, and this is everything that I can achieve. However, I did think that in my headspace that I'd given everything to Emma Wiggle in that time and I was so – I got in such a swing. It was so, so comfortable. I got so comfortable mm. doing the shows and, and I grew so much in that role that, yes, I felt ready to then grow into another version of me. And I guess what's interesting is that that took a long time. I probably have only really come to terms with that now, a year later <laughs> from making that decision. I guess it will always take time because we're always constantly growing. But understanding that it is segmented in chapters has been so helpful for me because now I think that was that chapter, as you mentioned before, and now I'm on to this new chapter, but life is a series of chapters. So we have to constantly progress and, and move forward and improve. And it became apparent to me because I was studying at the same time, working out ways to include visual communication with media for children through my PhD that it just became, I can't even explain it. It's just really strong in my, mm. in my waters. It's really, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but a part of my passion is movement. I love dancing and I love yeah visual communication and I love learning sign language and it just became overwhelming and at the time of the pandemic when we weren't touring it gave me a lot of time to do a lot of that writing the research and I was like you know what there's a lot to be had here we have not done enough in Australia <laughs> and I thought wow. okay if I'm going to make this opportunity now to try and contribute to this area of research, it needs to be now. And so I took a leap, but I didn't know what was going to happen really. I just took it. <laughs> but do you know, I feel like sometimes it's better that you do that. I feel like yeah. sometimes those leaps, if you did know what was involved, you wouldn't leap. Like no, the naivety right. about what's yeah. going to happen. It's you better that you rip the Band-Aid and do it. Because yeah. then also when you end on a high, you have no resentment about staying somewhere for too long. Yeah, like I had the best time. I had the best time. And it was really that it was like a burning instinctive feeling that I was right, right, I need to be able to contribute to our content in Australia, particularly in the children's space, because I love it and it's where I have the most yeah. experience. <laughs> there just there needs to be more. I could see more. I felt from experiences that were being told to me that there was a lack of accessibility in children's media and media in mm -hmm. general, but especially in the children's space. And I was like, right, I'm doing it. <laughs> I just took a leap. And you just did it. Who even Can you knows? please put 
Emma Wiggle as your name on your PhD? Like, can it be <laughs> Dr. Wiggle? Like, um, because that would be amazing. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the children, I, I remember when we were talking to people about, yeah, PhD, and so parents would explain that to children as being a doctor. A lot of children felt that I was going to be a, a medical doctor. So it was a very confusing title. So maybe we need to come up with a new name for it. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, I feel like a lot of PhDs don't use doctor because of that. And I'm like, yeah. um, if I do a whole PhD, you are definitely <laughs> calling me doctor. There is no way you're not. We haven't we haven't fully got there yet. <laughs> we, yeah. I, I feel like we're not quite there, but hopefully at some point we will be. But unfortunately, but also fortunately, leaving the Wiggles and, and that chapter that was, you know, so much a part of my every single minute of every day, now... I've been opened up to even more opportunities and challenges about this particular space that I've had to extend the PhD to <gasps> use some of these cases to learn from and write about. And so the PhD was meant to be finished, but because we have met so many people, we have found some new research, we have met people that are doing amazing things. We've also seen a lack of accessibility and inclusion. Wow. It's now like, I, I, hang on, I'm, we, we just have to hold, hold on the submission. because <laughs> Hold the phone. Hold, <laughs> hold the doctor phone. We have to write about some of this stuff because it's really, really interesting and it's going to inform us for the next future of content creators, hopefully. So that's why I keep wow. going, hold. <laughs> I call up the uni, I'm like, just hold again. There's something really good here. <laughs> I ain't done. <laughs> no, hang on a second. <laughs> this is really interesting. So that's kind of where we're at now. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to read it. I actually love reading people's theses. Oh, really? Like I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I did. I was a lawyer. I did an honors thesis. Shall I send it to you now? Please. I need, please. I, need help. I love long form <laughs> writing what? and I love editing. I've edited so many people's theses. Like honestly, <gasps> if you ever need an editor, it makes me very excited. I'm in. Very I'm excited. In. I was in, you're in, but I'm Absolutely in. send it my way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. So how much time is that taking up now? Are you doing that full-time and obviously we're going to move on to talk about a very exciting ambassadorship that you have but is Emma post-wiggle figuring out like I can't even imagine how you figured out like in those first days I, I remember when I quit corporate and went into business like the first month I was just like I have never known how to do a day of work mm -hmm. that wasn't like very structured and very obvious like that yep. someone else wasn't kind of telling me what to do and going from the wiggles where like the wiggles are no matter who is a wiggle at a certain time, there's like a, a structure of how mm. they do yeah. their working day. Yep. And then suddenly you're like, oh, wait, I can. What am I doing? Yeah, like what is life? So how have you figured out what your time is doing? Like what are you doing? <laughs> that has taken a year and it is that feeling of liberation with time but also opportunity not just to work and collaborate with other people. Like I've discovered so many people in the last year that are researching similar things to me and are working in this space of creative sign language. And I'm like, how did I not know about you? What about you? Your project is amazing. And all of these things have really come to the forefront because we've now had time to either receive 
the messages that have been coming to us. Some people are like, I've been trying to contact you for years. I'm like, I never knew about that. And so it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing now to have the time to sift through and, and understand where is everybody at? Why are they connecting with the content? What are they looking for? What are they lacking? What do they need? And that's essentially what we've been doing over the last 12 months in creating a new children's character and making sure that (gasps) we're delivering the right material. Is it an Auslan character? Is that sort of the basis of the thesis? Well, look, we'd like to acknowledge that Emma Memma, which is the new children's character, is an extension, I guess, of myself, but maybe an outcome of some of this research. So whilst it's not the actual conclusion, it has elements in it that integrate visual communication for what it needs to be. It is inspired by visual movement, but it's also consulted by deaf talent here in Australia and other friends of Emma. They may also use sign language and so we have this beautiful friend of mine that I have known for many years, Elvin, who is deaf himself. He's a dancer. He was from Hong Kong. He moved to Australia, learnt ballet at 20. Can we stop for that? <gasps> wow, we thought you were over the hill at four. So 20 is stop like... It. <laughs> stop it. Amazing. Elvin is one of the most inspiring people and I'm just so grateful to have the chance not just to work with him but workshop with him. And he, alongside my other friend Sue who is deaf, who didn't learn sign language until her teenage years. I don't know how, I just don't, I just don't get it. They are the most creative and visually expressive people I've ever met. And we just, this is, this is, this is my problem. I get so into it (laughs) and we learn, (laughs) we learn so much from each other. And I'm just really grateful now to have the time to spend with these amazing professional artists who use visual communication for everyday life and for their professional life. And it's just, yeah, it's taking my breath away. It's just amazing. And that's why I keep extending the PhD. I'm like, these people. Of course. Why aren't any part? And like, look at what they're doing. Their work is amazing. And what are we learning? And how can we connect? And just stop me. Stop it. Oh, my gosh. When your thesis does come out, I'm going to do a little shout out back (laughs) to it in one of these episodes and then put the link in because I feel like there'll be people listening who are really fascinated. (laughs) 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 Who will be really fascinated. But it's interesting you're talking about how like getting access, like as the chapter has closed, it's allowed you not only more time, but to finally take up some of the opportunities and connections that you just didn't have capacity for and didn't have space for but that you're able to use the profile that you have to amplify a lot of causes and things that you're really passionate about that you didn't have time for before because you were wiggling all the time and now you have a little bit more leeway to yeah. to amplify things in society and one of them is Froctober Honestly. which as we all know it's October it's tell um, us about Froctober I also I am upset with myself that I also did not know much about Froctober before this year. And again, traveling so much and being immersed in different situations in different countries, you get overwhelmed with information. Whilst I knew about Froctober as a general concept, which is for everybody, a month 
obviously, of October for the chance for everybody to frock themselves up or dress up in their favourite frocks. And it's to raise awareness about ovarian cancer, not just here in Australia, but overseas too. And it really is about donating to the Ovarian Cancer Research Foundation to create more and more resources for new research. So it is, a, again, another very interesting trajectory because I had very much the pleasure of meeting the people from the OCRF earlier this year with Witchery and we did the White Shirt campaign to also yes. raise funds for ovarian cancer. And that experience in itself was life-changing for me. And whilst I've had my own situation with endometriosis, which is not the same, but in the relative area, I think when you start to talk to people about their own struggles, it just changes the conversation completely. And then automatically, yes, your besties, you're having a tea party and you're like, tell me about your problems (laughs) and what are your symptoms? That's weird. That's the same as mine. And it's those conversations that are what we're trying to encourage, because I think it's when people actually understand that maybe they might have something that's slightly not in the normal spectrum either and unfortunately mm. these diseases are affecting so many people and so this is why the research is important but anyway yeah. earlier in the year i happened to be on a panel discussion for the OCRF as an ambassador of the white shirt campaign and we heard from stories about ovarian cancer fighters and survivors and I was a mess. <laughs> I was a literal emotional wreck because the stories from some of these people that are still living with the disease uh, just felt so real and challenging that it was something that I hadn't been exposed to properly before, particularly in the area of ovarian cancer, which is a very, very silent killer for want of a better Mm. phrase and it is just very unknown unfortunately and that's why you can get to the very late stages before you know and then if you are diagnosed your trajectory beyond that point can be quite dicey so Mm. when the OCRF approached me to join for Froctober I was like yes but hold on a second what about these people (laughs) then? Their stories are so important. And I think really, even though I've joined as an ambassador, I would like to just swivel the spotlight to some of these people (laughs) that are actually living with the disease and the challenges they face daily. And look, one of the people, and if you have time and you look on the OCRF website, there's an amazing, amazing woman called Leanne. And Leanne has been living with ovarian cancer for over five years. And I just can't her experience, her stories, the way she talks, the way she lives her life is something that we can all learn from. And I just, the other day when we were launching Froctober, we got to see Leanne again and she mentioned, you know, I didn't even know if I'd see you again. And I was like, again, tears out of my eyeballs, like jumping out. Like I just, it's amazing the personal connections that we've been able to make just through this campaign alone and the people Mm. and the work that is behind the OCRF and the researchers and the scientists and the doctors behind ovarian cancer research are beyond amazing, beyond. I just can't. I'm stepping back. 
They're just amazing. They're amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh. That's why I can't be Dr. Emma because they are really, oh, it's crazy. They're beautiful It's people. still, it just blows me away. I, I've also been helping, you know, part of the um, white shirt campaign for a couple of years and, and done various things with the OCRF. And every time I hear it, like one woman dies every eight hours in Australia, not even globally, but in Australia from ovarian cancer, and yet there's like still no early detection test. It's just, it's so misunderstood, and like I feel like it's one of those things that you, once you hear the statistic, you just want to scream about. Them. That's like, the issue. Yeah, like, go That's and get it. checked, and your your Pap smear doesn't cover it. Like yeah. all these things that we've just. And I think the more it can be amplified, and the more conversations you can have, and the more like. Who doesn't want to get frocked up in October? Like that's the Honestly. funnest way to get people having a conversation. <laughs> what an amazing campaign. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head. It really is about, and Leanne talks about this too, it's definitely for October is to celebrate the joy of coming together, but also it has such a juxtaposed message. And the fact that a woman dies every eight hours from ovarian cancer is overwhelming. and. For this particular campaign, I was very honoured to wear this amazing frock designed by a guy called Jamie and his cousin Jenna very sadly passed away from ovarian cancer and he's put these big like (gasps) glitter bands on the dress that represent the eight hours and so there's eight gold bands on the dress. That's why you have to go look at the photo. But that's why he's I've seen it. It's so beautiful. Like I and so this is this is going to sound quite weird, but when I was talking with Jamie about the dress initially, I said, can we just clarify the eight bands, because we were talking about the design and he'd showed me pictures because we hadn't seen each other in real life yet. And I was like, is it the most, it's so bright, it's so joyous. And he's like, oh, it, it would have been Jenna's favourite, it's her favourite colour. And I said, you've just, you've done such an amazing, the whole dress is just, it is breathtaking. But I said, so are the bands to represent that a woman is diagnosed every eight hours? And he goes, no one passes away every eight hours. And I was like, stop. And it's as soon as the facts are in your mind, you cannot get rid of it. And this is what For October is about. It's about how we can support this conversation. Whilst we may not be suffering from ovarian cancer ourselves, or we might not know it, it is about Mm. bringing this conversation to light and being able to tell as many people as possible, and that really is our responsibility. And that's the only way that I can see my partnership with the OCRF is just being there to strike up the conversation. Oh, well, you're doing an incredible, incredible job. I mean, even just hearing you speak about it now, you speak with such passion and that the dress, I didn't know about the symbology behind it. I'll have to share share that photo from the from the campaign when we oh. publish the podcast. It's yes. just, yeah, you are doing a wonderful job. I feel like so moved even hearing you speak about it now. Yeah, when you hear Leanne, oh, if you're in a room with Leanne, you just you bring your tissues. That's all I can say. Bring your tissues. And that's, I guess it is important to note that it's not just me frolicking around in any old dress. This particular yeah, frock is so important and is in honour of not just Jenna's life, but of so many people that have lost the fight 
with ovarian cancer and look, I'm just really, all I'm there is I'm just a cheerleader. I am a cheerleader (laughs) for the research and the foundation. So for our listeners, for anyone else who wants to frock up in October, how do we, like, do you register and how do we sort of be part of it? There's lots of different ways you could hold your own tea party and dress up. Oh my God, tea party, like we're actually holding tea parties. Well, we could. I mean, essentially (gasps) you could have an event so you can register your event and fundraise that way. You could even fundraise just by donating to one of our other people that have registered on Online. So if you visit the OCRF and you click donate, you can see other ambassadors and people that have been following the campaign for many years and they just have the most amazing array of dresses. It's just incredible. Somebody's like, this is the dress I always wear for Frocktober and when it's in the second week of Frocktober, <laughs> I always wear this one. I'm like, that is amazing. Why haven't I not known about this? And so you can donate to other people's events or other people's fundraising campaigns or you can just donate yourself to the cause. But yes, Frocktober is about instigating that awareness, but you can donate to the OCRF any time of the year. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to include links to everything, uh, all the information and where you can donate and where you can find other people who are participating as well in the show notes. Emma, thank you so, so much for this chat. I feel like I could, we didn't even touch on your endo. I feel like I have so many more questions for you, but we'll have to just have a tea party another time. (laughs) Yeah, part two. Part two tea party. Very last question for you. Uh, since I love quotes so much, mm-hmm. if you had to leave our audience with a particular quote that was your favourite, what would it be? Be a goat. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yes. That's all I yes. know. Yes. <laughs> goats are cheeky. They have no inhibitions. So, you know, be yourself. Be a goat. I love that. And also go and Google if anyone needs to be cheered up at any time in any day, go and look up fainting goats on YouTube. Have you seen fainting goats? You know the ones that like they get too excited. Yeah, and their muscles. They I know it's them and sad, then they fall but over. it's so cute. But you can also, if you want to look at very cute goats, you can have a look at them on my social media too. Of course. Oh my god, we should change it to like Emma Goat Lover or something. <laughs> <laughs> I I had an interview not that long ago, and I think the title of the article was Crazy Goat Lady. I'm like, yeah, that pretty much sums me up. <laughs> Yeah, that fits. That fits. But you're also the goat as in like the greatest of all time. So I feel like there's a double meaning going on. Well, thank you. But just be. Oh, you've seen. Yeah, that's not my sheep, but that's a rescue sheep on the on the sanctuary. I know. I'm like, where's the goat? Its name is Boots. Its name is Boots and it steals my goat's food. So we're not best friends. Wombats. There's everything. (gasps) Hello. That's my goat. Mum, mum, mum. Like a dog, honestly, that strawberry. Yeah, she's beautiful. Strawberry. Strawberry. Are they actually like puppies? Yep, 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 yep. They're amazing. Beautiful animals. Oh, wow. So much goat content. All right, yeah, hit up Emma Watkins official. (laughs) And invite the goats to your Frocktober tea party and dress up, frock up and be a goat. That's what I'm parting with. Quote of the day. Amazing. (laughs) Emma, thank you so much for joining. This was absolutely wonderful and we'll have to do a tea party soon. Can we please? That would be lovely. Absolutely. Thank you for the (laughs) chat. I really appreciate it. 
oh, Emma's one of those people you can't speak to without having a gigantic smile on your face. I feel like even just listening to her voice, you would be smiling. She's such an amazing human being and doing incredible things. Her PhD, you can find out more about it on her page. And Emma Memma, the character she's creating, also has its own page. Or you can just check out everything else she's doing on Instagram at Emma Watkins Official. And please do tag her if you enjoyed this episode and happen to feel generous enough to share it so we can keep spreading the yayborhood and the yay as far and wide as we can. Of course, we are so lucky to have had Emma on during the month of Frocktober and I've included in the show notes links to the OCRF's campaign for 2022, along with some important facts on ovarian cancer, how you can get involved, how you can donate and where the funds go. It is an incredibly important cause and it's so important to raise awareness of the fact that it is not very easily diagnosed and help spread the word about OCRF's incredible work. So head to the show notes for that. And in the meantime, I hope you're having a wonderful week and a seizing your yay.